Listener Production. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show begins. I ask my guest who they are. So who are you? Hi, I'm Ben Kosh. <laughs> and um, I'm very, very fast. Hi, Ben Koshin. It's <laughs> nice to have you on the podcast. I appreciate it very much. I enjoyed the fact me. that you didn't even quite make it through your full name <laughs> before laughing. Which... My name really makes me giggle. <laughs> it's good for comedy. If you know yeah, yeah, yeah. You already yeah. got them laughing in the aisles halfway yeah. through your surname. <laughs> yeah, the MC introduces me on stage and I'm coming out giggling my ass off. Uh, ben, can I tell you something? So this might be a bit embarrassing for you to start this podcast, but here we go. I'm going to do mm. it anyway. It's my show. I can do yeah. it how I want to do it. Embarrass um, me. I went to a showcase um, event a few weeks ago, probably like a, a month or a bit ago when people are hearing this, during the Sydney Comedy Festival. My management uh, had put on a uh, – what's the name of that beautiful venue uh, that used to be Giant Dwarf but oh. now is – the funny munchkin or... Velvet revolver. It's not called <laughs> yeah, any of these things. Crazy, Golden yeah. handshake. Yeah, the pig uh, and whistle. <laughs> it's got some really great yeah. name that I can yeah, never Yeah, Disco remember. Turtle or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were down at Disco Turtle with a yeah. lineup of, you know, like some pretty heavy hitting stand-up comedians. And there were some very funny people on that night. Like... People like, you know, Tom Ballard and Nath Valvo who have been on this podcast previously who just absolutely murdered. But I've got to say, your set amongst some very, very good comedians was as good as anything that I saw on that entire night. You were so funny. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed the fact that you seemed to be dressed as Adam Sandler. Now, what's that about? <laughs> That's funny you say that because I'm not doing it on purpose, but like I see those photos of him in like baggy shorts and an old jump and I'm like, that that's how I would want to dress. And yeah. I guess I do dress like it that. It is how you dress. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but I bet it's like, I bet it's like really expensive still. Like it looks like an old baggy hoodie, but I bet it's still $300 and it feels amazing. Uh I agree with that because I am not. I don't have Adam Sandler money or Adam Sandler fame or wealth, but I have, uh, you know, like uh, I have some very expensive. You have Rob track- Schneider money. Yeah, exactly, and <laughs> that can get you some very comfortable and expensive tracksuit pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, do you think much about what you wear on stage? I literally have. I've only seen you perform live a few times, and I'd never mm. noticed what you were wearing until this night. When, yeah, because particularly this surrounding is quite grand. You know, it's got this. It's this quite beautiful venue, and everybody was a bit dressed up because it was a showcase event. And then you just came out on stage, <laughs> sand or oh, sandlin to the hilt, and I, <laughs> yeah. I wondered. Because I always think that everything's on purpose and often mm. often things aren't on purpose. So I'm interested yeah. to know, is the look on purpose or was that just like what you were wearing on the way to the show? Yeah, it is a bit on purpose. Yeah. Now that I'm remembering it, it is like a really old daggy polo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that I found at an op shop for $5. <laughs> but I just, yeah, in the summer, I mean, if yeah. it's above 19 degrees outside, I'll be in shorts. I don't know if you've seen me perform in shorts. That's... 
I like to perform in shorts. I think I think if you're silly on stage, you can perform in shorts and people are all right with it. So people who are listening to this podcast who aren't comedians, and I hope there are those people because there's not enough comedians. <laughs> there's a lot of comedians, but there's not enough for good yeah. ratings. Uh, they, they might not understand that wearing shorts on stage in comedy for some reason. It, it's like... Like the real rule of comedy is that there are no rules. Like, you know, like you should be able to do whatever you want. But for some reason, people always have these weird hard and fast rules, one of which is that people shouldn't wear shorts on stage. <laughs> have you have you suffered any of this backlash against you? A Has little been, bit. Yeah. Yeah, like every now and then the MC will go on and be like, geez, he's worn shorts. I'm like, I'm talking about like whoopee cushions or whatever. Like, why yeah. do we have to pretend this is like a serious yeah. job? It'd be weird if you're in a suit. Exactly. Like, <laughs> then, then you're a serial killer, right? Like, yeah. I'm dressed appropriately for these jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny for next year at the comedy festival, yeah. I'd dress up in full clown makeup, clown costume, big shoes, and just never reference it. And just do my normal set, but I just I look like it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you allowed to appropriate clown? Like, I mean, that would be some sort of cultural appropriation, surely, to like clown up yeah. for a show. And I and hate the clown to- community to come after me <laughs> with their squirting flowers and their handshake buzzers. <laughs> It'd be horrible. Constantly electrocuted, fearing handshakes at all times. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is I can sneak up on you too because like, you know, like you go by any small car, there might be 80 of them Exactly. In there. Yeah. And if, you, if they do a drive-by, there's heaps of them yeah. in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I think if you were just wearing – Clown. That's like somebody wearing an Indian headdress to Coachella for me. Like if you, just, you reckon? <laughs> yeah. If you wear the clown costume and never reference yeah. that you're wearing a clown costume. Yeah, it's that bad. Yeah, I get cancelled for wearing a clown costume. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can say my dad on my, you know, my great grandpa on my dad's side was a clown, so I'm allowed to or something like that. Yeah, that's what it's you in my blood. Do. I've yeah. actually come from a clown family. It's fine for me to make these jokes. <laughs> I'm my, 15% clown. <laughs> I'm from clown people and clown people, as, as a Jewish person I know, are the most prosecuted people in the entire world. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the clown side of the family that people have trouble with. <laughs> <laughs> there is a really famous interview of, uh, do you know the comedian Bobcat Goldthwaite? I do. I haven't heard him in many interviews, but I know him. So he's a lot of people would know him as the squeaky voice guy from the Police Academy movies. But uh, for people who've seen his stand up or like seen him do live stand up, I've seen him work live, and he's one of the most magnificent comedians, inventive comedians I've ever seen in my entire life. And he made this movie many years ago called Shakes the Clown. I think it was, and it was about an alcoholic clown, right? And the clown association got really mad about the portrayal of clowns in this movie. And there is a famous clip of him on, I think probably the today show on NBC, but certainly one of those style shows where he's having a debate, Bob Cathcoltwaite with the head of the clown association who on (laughs) breakfast TV is dressed head to toe as a clown. (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. That's so I mean, that's the perfect like trailer for the movie. Just like that's the perfect promo. Uh, what sort of comedy? Let's talk comedy because I'm really fascinated by 
your comedy and I want to know where it comes from. Like, uh, when did you first get interested in comedy? Did you, like, were you interested in comedy as a kid? You strike me as someone who might have been a funny kid. Tell me the comedy story of Ben. Yes, I I was a funny kid. Um, and then I think I got interested in it at like 12, 13 years old. My brother like downloaded all these Comedy Central Presents specials on like illegally on like LimeWire. <laughs> and I think I just like got addicted to it. Like from, from the second I heard it, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And like my first few favorite comedians were like Brian Regan, Jim Gaffigan, like really silly and like they're clean comedians. So I guess when you're a kid, like not that it matters more to you, like, but it just you understand all the jokes better because they're not t- talking about you know crazy stuff. So, like, this podcast isn't me- about me name dropping, but I'm about to because I just think because of the two you just mentioned, you'll you'll like this. So, I've had small interactions, well, uh, small interactions with Jim Gaffigan, like you know, over the years, like you know, enough to just say good day and like he knows who I am. Obviously, I know who he is. Delightful awesome. man. Yeah. But how's this? So one night I'm in, I don't know, Denver or somewhere in the US doing some shows at the club downtown, and Brian Regan is uh, coming through town that exact same night on one of his oh mega God. tours. So for people who don't know Brian Regan, I bet they probably know Jim Gaffigan. He's probably – but Brian Regan is possibly considered by comedians as one of the top five stand-up comedians of all yep. time. Mm. Like he's the guy that Jerry Seinfeld thinks is the best comedian of all time. Like that's this is how good this man is. And he does these mega tours of America where he plays to thousands and thousands of people a night and he has like a bus and tours town to town and just anyway, he's in Denver the same night, I think. I think it was Denver. And uh the same night <laughs> and Joe Zimmerman, who's a really funny US comedian, is doing support for him. And I know Joe, and Joe and I are messaging about the fact that we're both in town. And he says, oh, you know, um, if you want to come down after the show, like, you know, I'll introduce you to Brian. He'd be, you know, very – he's played that club on the way, you know, on the way through, on the way up. Like, he he totally gets it. He'd love to meet you. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah, absolutely, of course. I would love to – Meet Brian Regan, of course I would. So we finish up our second show that night. We head over to where they were drinking, you know, post their show. But because we've had a late show and they just had a regular show, you know, they've already... So by the time we get there, Brian Regan is literally walking out the door. So I I walk in and Brian Regan is clearly leaving, going towards wherever he's going to, out the door. And of course I don't stop him because I don't know Brian Regan in that situation and I recognise what is happening. I go inside, I see my friend Joe. Joe's like, oh, Brian just left. And I said, I know, I saw him on the way out, but I didn't want to, you know, bother him clearly. And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes out to Brian Regan, who was leaving again, like leaving, already gone. (laughs) Brian Regan comes back inside sits down, buys us all drinks for the next like hour, hour wow. and a half and talks to us about comedy and like life and just being on the road and just did it because he knew how big a thrill it would be for us. That's amazing. It wasn't about him, you know. He yeah. knew that we were excited to see him yeah. and he was like, oh, well, you know, great. Like, I'll go back in and it was the best. So, anyway, oh all I God. wanted to say was those people that you loved are good people <laughs> You've to had love. a great experience yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I could picture that. He seems, yeah. seems like such a great guy. The best, honestly. It was 
one of the best moments I've ever had in comedy. The absolute – I've met some big comedy stars over the years, but he by far the most generous with his time and attention. And ah, it was fucking amazing. It was the best. I would be so scared talking to him. My voice would be all shaky. <laughs> <laughs> be like, hi, Brian. <laughs> I'd love to meet him one day. That'd be so cool. Uh, so, okay. So you you start listening to Brian Regan and Jim Gaffigan and when you talk about your comic sensibility, yeah, they're guys who are great comedians but also, I mean, Jim Gaffigan's the most famous routine that people might be familiar with, even if you don't know who Jim is, is the Hot Pockets routine, which is one of the most wildly watched um, you know, stand-up clips of all time, you know. Yeah. Um, but silly stuff. You Very know. silly, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what appealed to you, silly. Yeah, I think so. I just, yeah, I really loved, I love the silly stuff. And I remember hearing like Seinfeld's, whatever his album was, um, I'm Telling You for the Last Time last or time. something. Yes. And I just remember, because like I was funny at school and I just remember having the thought like, I don't understand what he's doing. Like, I, don't, I know how to be funny, <laughs> like, in front of my friends if I yeah. make fun of the teacher, but uh-huh. I don't understand that he's just walking out uh-huh. and being hilarious for an hour. I don't understand what that is. And I, then I, like, I remember being a kid and trying to think in my head, of like, just trying to copy Seinfeld, like, having observations about stuff. Um, like, but, what you know, sort of things? Like, what would you be observing? Just general, like, what's the deal with butter or whatever? Yeah, pretty much. Just like, I remember one of them was like, I was obsessed with mobile phones for some yeah. reason. That's a weird thing about <laughs> me being as a kid. But I love all the Nokias, and there's like Nokia uh-huh. 3310. And I must have been like 12 or 13. Like, when are they going to run out of these Nokias? Nokia 3310, you know, it's bad stuff. But, you know, that was my version of like Seinfeld. As what I love though is as a 12-year-old, you're doing material that like a lot of open micers definitely would have fucking done at some stage. Like <laughs> it's actually quite advanced material for I got that it level. out of the way early, you know. Get, the, get that out of the way at 12. Um, if you like mobile phones and technology, I don't know. There's a new movie called Blackberry about it's oh, yeah, a, I saw a trailer for that. Yeah, so Jay Rosenthal, is that his name? No, no, what's his name? Jay, oh, man, um, he was, he's in a lot of Seth Rogen movies. He's a Canadian actor, Jay Baruchel. Baruchel, yeah. Baruchel, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, um, so yeah, it's the story of Blackberry, basically. Mm. I mean, it's a fictionalized version of the story yeah. of Blackberry, but... Yeah, I watched it last night. It's oh, so it good? good. Oh, oh that's man. Awesome. It's the best. It's so good. Like, I think if you have any interest in that topic at all, even yeah. if you don't, I think you'd enjoy the movie. But yeah, particularly. I'm waiting for the Nokia story. I yeah. was a Nokia guy. <laughs> you could be you could be the guy who makes that story. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Quit stand up, focus just, on the Nokia story. Just in a room going, what is the numbering system? I'm going to run out of these eventually. <laughs> Yeah, so that's uh, I, how I got into yeah, it so, first. Yeah, so where does that develop? So you start thinking about the idea that stand-up comedy is a thing, right? Because that's what you've recognised with Jerry Seinfeld and all these sort of people is that like, there is this idea where people can say these silly observations in a row for an hour and that's a job of some kind. Yeah. And then I also remember having the thought, like, imagine if I could like come up with a joke. Mm. Okay. And now I try to remind myself of that every time I, you know, if I come up with a new bit, I'm like, I had no idea. I was like, imagine if I thought of a joke myself and now I can sort of do it every now and then. 
<laughs> See, that's great though. That's a, what a great origin story is like. I wonder if I could write a joke. Can you remember what your first joke that you wrote was? Um, I don't remember my first, but I remember my first bit I did when I did stand up. And I think it's a good premise uh, with a bad execution. <laughs> but the first joke was just being like, I'm doing stand-up for the first time and, um, you know, it's scary doing stand-up. You know, you want to come up with an observation that you hope everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I do that as well. But what if you just say something that's, you know, only happens to you, you know? You just <laughs> reveal it in front of a bunch of strangers, which I think is a good premise. And then, you know, the execution, which I don't think is as good. It's like, what if you wake, you know, you come on stage like, you guys ever wake up and release like a liter of blood out of your ass? <laughs> Which I think could be better with the execution, but the premise is there. You know what I love is sometimes that I like that premise, but also sometimes you do see people do that early on. That's even the best thing. I love when somebody's telling something that they think is like, you know how you all blah blah blah. And yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's gonna get oh. on board with this. <laughs> yeah, we all like fucked a raw chicken at high school, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good execution. We all fucked a raw chicken. Right? If right? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was all right. Um, so where where does comedy start for you? Like when when is that, you know, first time that you're doing actual stand-up comedy? Um, I was 19 and I think like Probably from the age of 18, I tried to start writing jokes, just whatever I thought a joke was. So I probably tried to write jokes for about a year. And then after a year, I was like, I might have something here. And in my head, I was always like, I'm definitely going to try stand-up once. I'll do it at some point. And then I did. I signed up for this, like, because there weren't many gigs when I first started. There weren't, like, open mics you could just show up at. So I signed up for this competition. It was called Quest for the Best. And... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they ever found the best, but the quest was there. <laughs> the quest continues. Exactly. That's right. It's like a Lord of the Rings type quest. It just says, quest still pending. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I did it. And uh, in my head when I did it, I thought I absolutely destroyed. And I guess like when you first start, like because you've never been on stage before, if you get like, you know, some laughs, you're like, oh my God, that was unbelievable. I crushed. If you've but never got any laughs yeah. before, like, you know, you've never been in that situation, some yeah. is a good amount. Some is huge. <laughs> right? <laughs> some is so much more than you had previously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember like a couple of years ago, because I have footage yeah. of it and I watched it again and like now I would consider that a hard bomb. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I should not have watched it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's a hard watch. Um, I think it's good though. Like, I mean, I actually think like, I think it's really great that at the start we don't know how terrible we are because if we had an awareness about how bad we are when we start, like I will take, cause often someone will start and they will get way ahead of themselves. But I actually always forgive that because I think I had a bit of that in me as well. But I think that in a way you have to have a bit of that in you because if you had a real self-awareness of like, A, how terrible you were, how yeah. long it's going to take to get oh, good, how never hard it's going to be on that pro, like you, you yeah. just stop. You'd be like, it's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, I, speaking of getting ahead of yourself, yeah. I did that first gig and I remember thinking, well, here we go. You know, like let's, 
how do I get management or something? Like yeah. one gig in, yeah. I was like, I think I even like. I've clearly got the name for this. <laughs> I emailed maybe management, sent them the video of my yeah. first ever oh, stand no. up. Yeah, okay. And that's... I'm like, what do you reckon? You're going to sign me based on this premise that's pretty good? <laughs> yeah, horrible to even think that I did that. I have often had people, it doesn't happen so much anymore, but um, often I, I think in the early days of YouTube in particular, people would be like, hey, I filmed my first set and here's my first set and just oh my God. Like, click on this link. Like, mm. do you have any advice? And I yeah. would be like, yeah, here's my advice to you. Like, and I mean this honestly. I don't mean this Stop sending that video to people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, take it down. Like there will be a point. Hopefully, yep. if you get good enough at this, that yep. you will pay any money you have to have so that true. erased from the internet. Yep. My best advice to you is don't put it up there in the first place. Wait, wait. Like one of the best things about comedy, I think, is get good in private. Like, so true. Take the time to get good. Yep. You don't want to be thrown into an opportunity before you're ready because you'll be absolutely exposed by it. Like take the time when nobody knows who you are to get good at what you do and then let people know who you are. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And speaking of like getting sent videos and stuff, I used to run a comedy room and the amount of times people, you know, they'd send a video, they're like, here's my set, can I get a spot? And I'm like, there are no laughs in this set. Right. Like, what are you sending me? Like, you've sent me your bombing like for five minutes. Like, why is this the video you're sending people? It's horrible. Right. I didn't say that. I was just like, now nah, we're full. But um like, yeah, it's so weird the videos people send thinking that's like a hot set. <laughs> well, and I wish that we could actually be more honest around these things. And I don't mean in a mean-spirited way, right? You don't want to put people off because, again, everyone's terrible when they start. But but there is some – you don't need to advertise how terrible – like essentially what you did was go, hey, I'm not really great, but I better let everyone in the industry who did not know I existed know that I'm not very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, save this video to your computer, <laughs> yeah. download it. You're going to want to watch this again soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so but you do it and you have the optimism that it went well. And like you said, there's some good premises in there. So there is at least some good comedic thinking, right? Because I think that's good that you look back on a premise and go, oh, this is a nice premise. Because it does. I don't care that you didn't execute it perfectly the first time. You've just got to go, can my brain work like this? So, so true. So what happens next? And also on that, like still to yeah. this day, I'm like, punchlines are really hard to write. Like sometimes I'm like, I'll write a bit. I'm like, this is a good idea. And sometimes you even do it on stage and you can see people be like, yeah. yeah. And they're like yeah. waiting for the punchline. They're like, we're ready to laugh. Yeah. Just, you know, give us a little yeah. bit we're extra. And then you don't have it. And you're like, yeah. well, that's it. I thought, yeah. I maybe thought that last part was the punchline, but... <laughs> I guess not. I guess that wasn't the punchline in your eyes. It's hard to write punchlines. Yeah. I mean, definitely also guaranteed punchlines. Like oh, I think yeah. a guaranteed punchline is very hard. Like you can oh. you can guarantee an idea or a bit or a premise or like, you know, to get people on board, but to definitively say, because there's also just almost something about the rhythm of it that says to the whole audience, this is the bit I decided to finish on, <laughs> you know? Like, Absolutely. Yeah, you sold it hard and yeah, they're like, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's also like, I mean, people who do big act outs, I'm yeah. like, imagine doing like a big act out and getting yeah. nothing. Like, that's hard. But yeah, speaking about that as well, like those bits where you, they're like, you know, guaranteed laughs. Like I did Roadshow 
for the first time, which is where you like go around Australia and do big yeah. venues and stuff. So for people who don't know, the Comedy Festival, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and the Sydney Comedy Festival have different versions of it. But this was are you talking about the Melbourne Comedy Festival Roadshow or was it uh, Sydney Roadshow? Yeah, Show? I think Melbourne yeah. was in Wollongong. I don't know, right. maybe it was Sydney. Yeah, anyway, they, it doesn't really matter. Like they're, they're basically the same sort of vibe, which is a selection of comedians from different stages of their career and different types of comedy put together in a gala lineup that tours to regional areas. Most of these areas have good big theaters or halls or whatever and so they tend to be pretty great crowds like yeah but not necessarily comedy savvy <clears throat> I, in fact crowds. i think great crowds and well, you are kind to say not necessarily <laughs> Off, often it can be the first time that anyone in that room's seen comedy so yeah, other than the, Carl Barron. Yeah, well, they've yeah. definitely seen Carl Barrett. <laughs> like, I, I, I think yeah. I think I looked at his last tour numbers, and like I think more people saw him than live in Australia somehow. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, they've definitely all seen Carl Barrett, and yeah. then they're comparing everything else to yeah. Carl, right? Yeah, and so that's one of the great challenges of those lineups is that. Often you will go to a place, even though you know they're there to see comedy and they are a great crowd. They they aren't necessarily familiar with the type of comedy that you're about to present. To them. Absolutely, yeah. And so you know we had to do 15 minutes, and I was like, all right, let me work out what's my best 15 minutes. I've been doing Santa for 11 years. Let's just try, you know, screw doing new. Let me try Crush for 15 minutes, and I found out like I have probably nine minutes. <laughs> Of like, this works every time and it crushes every time. Yeah. And the rest, not like I was bombing for the other no, six. No, it's a lot of the rest. You just yeah. don't know night to night. It yeah. could crush or, yeah. or it could, yeah. for reasons that you can't quite put your finger on, <laughs> they'd be like, not tonight, mate. Yeah. So now I like to ask comedians, I'm like, yeah. how many minutes do you think you have of like, this crushes 90% of the time and it gets big laughs? Because in 11 years, I've got nine. <laughs> Nine that I can bank on, and um, I think it's an interesting question. How much would you have an hour of? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think so. I would hope so after all yeah. the fucking comedy that I have done. Yeah. I mean, I would hope I would have more than that. Like, But it's funny that – so there's an example from this year's show. So the final story in the show essentially has like five punchlines in a row, right? And they're meant to, on a good night – Basically, it's just like bang, bang, yep. bang, yep. bang, bang. And they all get this like bit and then the show and oh, I'm out of here. That's but awesome. On some nights, it, on the third one, say, but sometimes it would be the fourth and sometimes it would be the second. But let's just say some stray nights on the third one, it would get a huge response. And then in your mind, you're like, wow, well, you wait for the next two then. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I'm bringing this home. And then yeah, the yeah. next two wouldn't really get the reaction. Right. <laughs> and I was like. You'd penciled um, in a standing ovation. Right. <laughs> I was. I was like, <laughs> literally like, wow, if you like that, wait, yeah. I got two more up my sleeve. And they're like, oh, yeah. no, we're, we're done for some reason <laughs> that we're not going to explain <laughs> yeah. to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So your great show, if it had ended 15 seconds ago, is now a sort of, ah. Yeah, they've gotten <laughs> over it. They've, they're over everything. They're like, all right, I'm sick of all this. All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you still talking? Yeah. Um, all right. So 
you do have like I mean when you say this you have a different comedy style like my comedy style is very big long form storytelling so of course you know it's easy to generate you know kind of a new show every year and like large amounts of material but that's not what you're doing for people who've never seen you before how would you best describe what it is that you do um <laughs> what do you think you do tell me that whenever people ask me to yeah. Describe my. I just say it's, it's silly, and I don't really know what to say after that. Mm. I say silly, and I mean you tell jokes though. I tell like, jokes. I mean they're yes. jokes. They're yes. like yes. And I mean they're, they're, yes. Um, yeah, they're short. They're quite mm. short, and I always yeah. try and make them long, <laughs> and then it's usually like like I'll expand it as much as I can, and it's always like yeah. one minute of the three minute bit is funny. So I'm like, I guess I'll just do the, the one minute version. I guess it is yeah. a one minute bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So most of my bits are like a minute. Yeah. It's uh, why which you I wish nine, they were longer. Nine minutes that could crush. I'd have those same nine minutes, but I'd have like nine hours based on those yes. <laughs> nine premises. And I'm so jealous of that, like just doing the comedy festival where some people are like, yeah, I do my 15 minute story and then I do my... <laughs> My other 15-minute story yeah. and their set list is like four things. And I'm like, I have to remember 50 things in a yeah. row and I and hate it. And they're all it. different. Yeah, and there's no segues. Yeah, like it's impossible to link sense. them. None of it makes sense. <laughs> and I, I hate that part. But I guess that's just how I write jokes. Right. And it is how you are and it's very – it's unique. It's like why on a lineup the other night, you know, it, it popped in such a way is that you're doing something else that not yeah, not a lot of other people are doing. So, yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I'm I, – yeah, I think it's really fantastic. So you start doing comedy. Did you have this sense of I'm going to be a, a professional comedian? Like, is it was that your, you know, like, did you have other? Did you have something to fall back on? Did you have a backup plan? Did you, or was it comedy is what I'm going to be doing? Um, no, I remember like my other thought after I'm going to send this uh, video to all the management agencies was like, wow, this is so cool. Stand up's the best. I have no idea how you would ever make any money from this. Mm. And I still sort of don't. I still don't really know how you make money from it. Um, So, yeah, it was always like I was doing it. And um, what was I doing when I first started? Oh, yeah, I was doing a degree in, um, it was like media in brackets, PR and advertising. Um, I don't think I knew what PR was when I did it. Because now looking back, I'm like, I hate PR. Why would I do PR? But I like the advertising part. Um, And then I dropped out of that degree after a year so I was always trying to do stuff like I always assumed I'd never make a career out of comedy. Um, so I was always, you know, I, I tried to, I worked in advertising for a bit while I was doing stand-up and then I... What were you so, doing in advertising? I was a copywriter. So, yeah. So um, did you write anything that I made fun of in Gruen? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> but I did come to Gruen, you know, with my friend and so that's pretty cool that life's come full circle. But um, yeah, I came to Gruen and I saw you. That was awesome while I was in advertising, but yeah, nothing that big. I was pretty low level and I, I only worked in advertising for like two years, but I thought that'd be a good thing. Cause I'm like, yeah, it's creative. I can be creative and maybe I can write a funny ad, but I think it's very rare that you ever get to a point where they're like, Hey, here's a million bucks, write mm. a funny ad and we'll give you no notes. Like, I don't <laughs> think that even ever happens in advertising. <laughs> Do whatever you want. 
<laughs> it's all. It was often like he come up with an ad for a printer that is like yeah. eco-friendly, and come up with a funny tagline for that, and then you your brain breaks trying to figure that <laughs> for like three days, and then you're like, oh, I finally got it, and they're like. Nah, we actually no, nah, we don't like that. Come up with another one. I'm like, what oh. about uh, no carbon footprints? Yes, see, you're good at it. There we go. <laughs> let's find <laughs> let's find that particular company. And so <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go back we, to them. We remember we got one. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember that horrible feeling of trying to force creativity, like sitting in a room, looking at a whiteboard, and just like saying the words over and over again in your head. Print a printer that's eco-friendly. What's a printer that's eco-friendly? And your brain's like eating itself. Like, whereas with stand-up, it's just like, you know, the best jokes just come to you and you write it out. You don't have to be like, what's funny? What's funny? Come on, think of something, Ben. Okay, so I'm interested in that because I, your creative process is, you know, like so you tend to let the jokes occur to you first. You're not sitting down going, I want to write a joke about pants or string or whatever it might be it's it, yeah they, they they come to you like a first bit, and then you write them a bit of both actually I do have certain things where I'm like I'm like um I've, I've always want I one day I'll have one I want to have a joke about revolving restaurants you know I'm just like that's funny surely how I could mean, I not have a joke about revolving restaurants? I mean, you should have a joke about revolving I restaurants. I should, and I try every day. I, like, look at the revolving restaurant headline on my page, and I try to write as many <laughs> revolving restaurant jokes as I can, but so far, nothing great. I mean, um, what's the funny thing about revolving restaurants? I mean... I wrote one today. You know, in America, they actually revolve the other way. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's all right. It's not I good enough. Like that's not that. going to go in the nine minutes of hot stuff. <laughs> no, but that's not bad. Like that's as a, a revolving start. restaurant joke goes. Yeah. It'd be I've much better in America because people are always familiar with Australia going the other way rather than us familiar with America going in the other way, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I think if you were in America and you go, you know, in Australia, revolving restaurants oh, revolving so the opposite true. direction, they'd be like, that's a pretty good joke to me. Yeah. I also had a take on like, um, why is it always restaurants that are revolving? What about a revolving tax accountant or something like that? Oh, or yeah. like. Yeah, like some sort of other business that's in a revolving. Yeah, or like a revolving yes. stationery store, and that's confusing. Um, yeah, that's like, good. And then revolving what if you have a stationery revolving store? You know what? I feel like you've rejected this stuff too quickly. There's some fun yeah. stuff in here, I think. Here we go. Let me go to the open mics tonight. Yeah, I also think it feels to me like somebody's looked, been in a Chinese restaurant and looked at a Lazy Susan and said, nah, I've got a better idea. We're going to move the yes. restaurant around. <laughs> <laughs> now that's good. Also, I thought of that today. Doesn't like Lazy Susan sound like something a slur like Chinese people would say about white people? Like, oh, Lazy Susan. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely, that, 100%. That woman's a Lazy we've all, Susan. We've all been just repeating it as if we don't know. Like there's a nation yeah, yeah, of yeah. Chinese people. Like Because originally – because it was the cultural appropriation of Chinese food, you know, the fact that we've like, you know, the Chinese food that we think of as being Chinese food in like America or Australia is like not the food that they're necessarily eating traditionally in China. And so the idea that that, that Chinese people have said, yeah, lazy Susan, but it's constantly a slur. Absolutely. Every time yeah, yeah, we yeah. say it, we, they, they still say it. They say it with a smile on their face. Yeah, we'll get the lazy Susan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um okay yeah so it can be both but how do you know 
Because when these sort of jokes, like you said, like, you know, nine minutes of bangers, some of these other ones are a night-by-night proposition. Um, So then how do you know when something's, like, how many times do you have to try it? Like, because if it doesn't work once, you surely can't, you know, stop there. If you think it's a funny Mm. idea, you've got to try it again. Yeah. Like, how long, how many times would you try something before you stop trying it? I'm pretty bad with that in that I probably listen to the audience too much and I'll do so- – sometimes I'll do something once and then, like, I'll be like, you're right, that absolutely sucks. Like, I'm with you guys. That stinks. But if I really believe in it, I'll do it, you know, two, three times. Um, but I think it's one of those things as well, like, if it is a good idea, even if you cut it, like, it'll come back to you at some point. Like, I have a bit that I'm doing now that I probably did, like, four years into comedy and I'm just like, I think I, it's that punchline thing again. I'm like, I think I've got a punchline now, whereas before it was just an interesting premise. But I think now I've worked out how to make it funny. Uh, so, Ben, on this podcast, I ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind. And uh, as much as I personally would like to exclusively talk about stand-up <laughs> comedy for the entire time we're here because it's what I like to talk about, I do yeah. understand that I have some obligation to the listeners of this podcast to fulfill Damn the it. premise. <laughs> Uh, I know. So uh, uh, riddle me this. Do you have Mm. a life philosophy of any kind? It can be to do with life, love, work. And by the way, a perfectly acceptable answer to this question is also to say, no, I do not. Um, Let's go back to comedy. No, um, (laughs) I I don't have anything that I'm like, you know, stitched into a pillow that I look at every day. And I'm like, (laughs) this is my Uh, life philosophy. Well, good news. Once you say it on the podcast, we actually get it stitched (laughs) into a pillow and send it to you as a thank you. So that would be great. That would Uh, be great. Honestly. Put it next to my drinking bird at home and all my other props. You know what? I'll put that as a Patreon like level or something. If we get to a certain amount of subscribers, I'll start sending the guests embroidered pillows with the philosophy on them. That would be awesome. Um, philosophy, um, one thing I thought of, and I guess it's not really a philosophy, but it is something, um, I don't really like lying. I've never been, I've never been a fan of people okay. who lie or cheat, stuff like that. I think like, um, I'm sure my parents taught me a lot of lessons when I was a kid. I think that's the only one that sunk in. My dad was just like, never lie. Don't lie. It's going to catch up to you. You shouldn't lie. And I used to play tennis and um, he would say, don't call the ball out unless you're 100% sure the ball is out. And then that also led me to a lot of times where after the game, my dad would be like, that ball was out by three meters. How did you not call that out? I'm like, I wasn't 100% I wasn't sure. I was 95% like, sure. You told me was not out. to lie. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the percentage is on the fly <laughs> of whether this is acceptable as a lie or a not lie. You're sending exactly. me confusing messages. Richard <laughs> yeah. Williams never screamed this at Venus or Serena. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But there is a lot of cheating in like the kids. Like I coach kids tennis and then like I, I make them play points and then – one of the kids would be like, that was out. I'm like, you called it out before it bounced. <laughs> you can't call the ball out before it's hit the ground. I know you're lying if you do that. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing. I'm, inter- I'm Well, I'm interested in that. I don't think anyone's ever said that before as one of their philosophies. And it's like, it's a good one. It's a pretty simple one. And it, mm, I'm and, a simple guy. But also that like, you know, it's interesting that you are in a like industry where literally like the job is lies like it's just people standing in front of people telling them lies constantly yes. right and in saying that all my jokes are lies, are lies. Like everything yeah. i say but we're in a room where we all presume 
People get it's it. lies, right? Yeah, I don't mind that type of. This lie. is a safe space for lies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Whereas, like, you know, you're talking about out in the wild lies. Now, is the flip side of that? Do you consider yourself then? To, I think there's two approaches. If you're a person who's not going to lie to people. There's two approaches that you have to take, which is firstly not interact with people at all because like, you know, sometimes it's very hard to interact without a little lying in your life to get yes. through the day, right? Yeah. Just to keep things simple. Or there are people who are just the, you know, brutal, honest people. Or not even brutal, but just if I ask you a question, you will just give me an absolutely honest answer. So are you a keep it to yourself person or are you an answer honestly person? Yeah, I'm definitely not the second person because I yeah. hate confrontation as well. So I would, mm. I would never. Yeah. So I am like, I guess it would have surprised me if that had been yeah. the answer. You know, I'm okay with white lies. Mm. You know, or mm. just lies to get by. Right. Like you know, you see a comedian after they've had a crap set, and you're like, great stuff, man. Or yeah, <laughs> you're not going to go up to them and go, that was <laughs> that was horrible. That was I have I've, I've actually seen. recorded that and sent it to a lot of industry managers. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So what was the first one? Just, oh, not interact yeah. with anyone. Do you, well, as in like, do you, would you rather you'll not say something rather than like confront it? Honestly, oh yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Like someone, I was trying to get out of like a gym membership recently and, and it was going to cost, it was still is going to cost like $1,400 if I want to get out of it. And someone was like, just say you have an injury. Say you've mm. hurt your shoulder, get a doctor's note. And there's part of me that's just like, I can't, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I can't lie and just make something up. Right. But could. also there shouldn't be something where like, there shouldn't be anything that if you want to stop it, they're going to charge you $1,400. I know. It's crazy. Particularly because it's not membership. like it's not like they built the gym on your investment. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, you're, you're I'm not, their foundation member. You're not going and they there. Need me. You're not using the service. You should not have to pay for the service. I mean, yeah. Anyway, that that is a whole other issue. But I do love the idea that you're like I'm not even going to lie to these people who are clearly fleecing me. Yes. See, a lot of people would use that as the justification, right? Yeah. They'd be like, you know what? This person is actually trying to get one over on me. I understand there might be some sort of administration fee, like, but come on, a hundred and hundred fifty bucks, not like thousands of dollars. Yeah, it's completely like ridiculous that that yeah. would be the case, right? Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I, I, I think that like a lot of people would just be like, well, fuck it. I can lie to them because they're already lying to me about the fact that they need me to pay this money. But you're yep. like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't fake an injury. Can't no, pretend I that can't. I can't come anymore. <laughs> By the way, you shouldn't have to do any of that. It should be enough to go, I'm not coming anymore. I, I don't know. like your service. Yeah. It's really annoying. Right? <laughs> like... I recently had to change addresses like at the post office and so I cancelled a thing that was changing the address, right? And they refunded me, you know, the rest of the year that I'd paid for. Right. Because the post office is already built and they've already hired the post the posties, right? Like, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> uh, uh, so your parents... <coughs> What, what was your upbringing like? You talk about dad always saying, you know, always tell the truth, don't lie. What, what was that? Where were you? What was that background? Um, I was uh, Jewish and still am. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> still circumcised, hasn't grown back. Um, 
Yes, Jewish. I grew up very uh, lucky, privileged. Nobody, you know, nobody likes to hear this anymore that someone was had a, a nice upbringing with money. But um, but yes, I did. I grew up in like the eastern suburbs, nicest, very nice area, extremely nice. And um, it's only looking back now that you realize how lucky you are. I feel like you don't realize how lucky you are when you're a kid because you're just like, yeah, it's just it's how I live. And all my friends have money. <laughs> yeah. No, but that's, I mean, this is absolutely, and it's kind of the point is that at least you can see that. Whereas there is part of that. that I mean, I live in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and so I know exactly what you're talking about. And like to get to work, I drive past two like of the uh, well three private schools on the one road two of which look like castles from game of thrones overlooking sydney harbour yeah it's crazy like where children go to school every day and so there's just got to be a normalization of the fact that that is what everybody does right like you know or a normalization of that privilege like you can't Mm. admit the privilege you've got to normalize the privilege and then the other one the boys school down the road now have an olympic size swimming pool oh i've seen that one i was just like they've just built this i was like did this school get the olympics did i miss something (laughs) they're hosting the olympics at the school next (laughs) year they could like it's amazing and so to justify that you've eventually got to normalize it right and so, of course, when you're a kid, and I mean, again, it's not your fault when you're a kid that you're like, but I'm interested then when you grow up in this like privilege, like was there pressure to be doing something then? I mean, advertising, I guess, the yeah, good career, like good something to pursue, but was there any backlash when you decided that you were going to do comedy? Absolutely, and there still yeah. is. <laughs> To this day. It's funny. Even my friends sat me down recently and my friends are great. I don't hold it against them. But they were talking to me like my parents. They were like, when are you going to give up? Like, when are you going to stop doing comedy? Like, you know, you got to start making money at some point. And maybe they'll listen to this and I, you know, I don't blame them. They're looking out for me. They want me to, because, you know, it's a stereotype. Money is kind of important to the Jews. I don't want to say all the stereotypes are true about the Jews, but. Comedy also, comedy also a stereotype of Jewish people though, like very respected tradition amongst like the Jewish community, right? Is like more in America though. There's not like a ton yeah. of like Australian, Australian Jews out there no. killing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a fair point. I I, yeah. I take that on board. Um, Charlie Pickering, but he had to join. Charlie right? Pickering, yeah, that doesn't yeah. count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's an honorary member. <laughs> Show me the circumcision and then I'll believe him. Send me pics. <laughs> so um, I understand that. Like, I mean, because it is hard. We joke about it. But, like, if you've, if you've been doing a job for as long as you've been doing a job and you, like, you know, you can tell that you've got talent at the job. You're going on roadshow. You're doing these shows and doing well amongst company of people who have you know, more lucrative financial careers, you know, at the very least, right? So t- talk to me about, like, some of that struggle, like, if or as much as you're comfortable with, but, like, because I think sometimes when I talk to people on this show, the reason that they're on the show is that something has happened in their life that has monetized their career in a way that, you know, no one's having a meeting with them anymore to, 
say, you know, should you be doing this with your life? But you, to me, are in that position where you can see that you're good at what you do, I think, probably. You know, you can tell that, like, from watching the scene and where you're at in the scene and what you do, you can tell that you have some talent for what you do. But at the same time, it hasn't broken through to that next level where it's like, yeah, everyone recognizes that, you know, no one's ever going to ask you again, is this what you should be doing with your life? So, so tell me what that is like. Um, it's a bit hard. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> if I just start bawling now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it takes a very mate, serious turn. Well, it's okay. It's a, sometimes this podcast does do that. I don't think it's going to right now, but <laughs> but it could. It's fine. But it is hard and like I've been doing it 11 years, mm. which is a, an amount of time. Yeah. I mean, I'm 30, so it's a decent amount of my life to be pursuing something. And I, you know, at this point I would even take making a bad living from it. Right. I, I, you know, if I could just pay rent, I'd take that. Mm. But like what other industry other than the arts can you work hard at for 11 years, be pretty good at it and not even be close to making a living from it? There couldn't be many. And I don't think that people necessarily appreciate that. You know, it was it was something that I talked about so often to people about during COVID when they would talk to me. But don't get me wrong, like I hated not being able to do stand-up and all those things. But I said, you've got to think about the people who – like I had other ways to make a living and pay my bills, you know. Whereas like there are some people who were barely existing on the poverty line regardless, pursuing this thing that they had great talent for, that they worked hard at. Like, you know, that's the other thing, right? Like it's one thing if you're just pissing it about and, you know, but if you're actually working hard at something, dedicating yourself to something, yes, in another industry, if you'd done the same thing in advertising, if you'd stuck at that and kept yeah. that same aptitude and creativity, you'd suddenly be like, I have a good job with like a yeah. good – Oh, actually, you know what? Your friends maybe did yeah, make a good point. <laughs> <laughs> they made a great point. Mate, you should go They're back to friends. advertising. I've got yeah. no, cl- no climate footprint, right? So yes. we take that back. We get that. That's your Jerry Maguire moment. You got your one <laughs> idea. And you- I got a good goldfish <laughs> i got a goldfish but i'm coming back in with a goldfish yeah, i brought this right. goldfish from home you're doing the reverse maguire <laughs> yeah. you're just barging in to somebody else's place of business with yeah. a gold with a goldfish and an idea and saying yeah. where's my desk i'm yeah. back i'm back i'm back mm. um okay so now i mean i don't want to like you know get too deep on it but like in terms of your creativity like does it affect the way that you're creative like the the money imperative like I'm interested in like do you think about oh I should be writing these sort of jokes or doing these sort of things so that it would lead to more work or do you feel like your creativity exists outside the bubble of monetization and then yeah, or, you know I don't know what's your thoughts on that? Uh, no it's never affected the jokes mm-hmm. I write I heard Carl Kinane on a podcast once say, um, like, he's going to do things the way – I might be misquoting him, but he's like, he's going to do things the way he does them and it might take a little bit longer to get where he wants to get, but, you know, that's how he's going to do it, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm sort of – I'll just – I'm not going to try write a joke that I think, you know, or try come up with an idea for a show that I think is going to be – you know, sell out more. I just, you know, I want to just write what I think is funny and I hope at some point, hopefully, fingers crossed, if I keep doing what I think is funny, then, you know, at some point it's going to 
something's going to happen. Some people will know that your partner is also in the entertainment industry. Are you cool for yep. me to mention this? She mentions yeah. it constantly, so <laughs> it's does, not a secret. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know how, you know, what's, I mean, what's that like when you both, like, you know, um, the, you and Conchetta, like, both work in the same industry, like, as two creatives, like, you know, trying to, like, get a foothold in an industry like is that good because you can be supportive of each other is it sometimes tough because like you, you know struggles are doubled rather than like halved I don't know like is it how does that come into it uh, I think it's good you know because we're in this sort of weird tough industry so it's good to have you know someone who understands it you know because a lot of people don't really understand what it's like and after I had that conversation with my friends I Went home to Conchetta and I'm like, my friends told me I have to quit comedy. <laughs> and she was like, you know, supportive. She's like, obviously you don't have to quit comedy. You know, she's very supportive. She's like, you're meant to do this. And <laughs> so it's nice to come home to someone who believes in you and thinks you're funny. And, and that always, that always helps me. And, um, yeah, she's been helping me. Try, like we, I joke, I'm trying to do this, uh, a social media assault at the moment. <laughs> Well, she's like, you have to make a, you have to caption all your stand up, and you uh, have to put it out every single day on TikTok, and like put it up nonstop on Instagram. And I've always like fought that because I just think people who do that seem like a bit of a psycho, you know, when yeah. they're posting nonstop <laughs> and there's a video every day, and like, so I've always, I've never wanted to do that, but now I'm like, I guess it works for some people, right. you know. I'm, and you got to remember, I'm not posting for like other comedians to watch it. I'm hopefully posting stand up, so you know. I can appease the algorithm. If the algorithm could just give me a chance. <laughs> and let I mean, but what do you feel about that relationship with the algorithm? Because I think that you're right, by the way, like in that I think that it does, of course, to us look absolutely desperate, you know, yeah. when we watch it. Nothing yeah. more cringeworthy. In the same way as plugging your show feels desperate and horrible. Yeah, it's the same thing. Really yeah. icky to do. Yeah. The, the thing that I would say is this. If you're proud of the thing that you're posting, mm. then you should never feel icky about it. Like yeah. if you've written a show that you really like and you're promoting it and you're flogging it and you're advertising it and you're trying to get people to come and see it, the truth of it is that you went to all that effort to make this thing that you're proud of. Like it's not embarrassing to then get people to watch it. That's the whole point of it if you've made something good. And there's – like with TikTok or any of those sort of apps, to me, is if you like the material you're posting every day, if you think it's something you want people to see, then great. If it's not good, stop yeah. posting it. It's not the regularity <laughs> that's the point. It's the Yeah, it, but I it, think it is actually. Yeah. I mean For some people it is the regularity. <laughs> well that's I mean true I'm not too, having a right? go at anyone on TikTok, but for yeah. some people it's like post a lot of crap, no offense. I think everyone on TikTok's great, but post a lot of stuff. I think um, everyone on the most popular app in the world. <laughs> Every user on TikTok is great. Yeah, but uh, I think firstly, is... my philosophy is that I don't lie. Secondly, everyone <laughs> on TikTok is great. Yes, yeah, the most creative people in the world. But yeah, it is like just post it nonstop yeah. regularly. Yeah, I think that's what the algorithm wants. How do you feel about that though? Because I think particularly someone like you, who is about Let's let's put it in the nicest and simplest of ways. Um, yeah. 
quality over quantity, right? Mm. Like, you know, that it does take time to craft what you're doing or to create what you're doing or to have something that feels uniquely you. You know, the fact that you think you don't have a revolving restaurant joke where you actually went through four things that I would have thought, you know what, I reckon all those probably are pretty good versions of that joke. (laughs) And I reckon you could actually turn that probably into at least a two-minute bit. Yeah, (laughs) Like, I reckon we could double the original. This might be the first (laughs) two-minute bit, revolving restaurants and then back around the other way. By the yeah. way, why don't they do that? Are they able to do that? Can you revolve a restaurant both ways? Do you have you ever done any research into revolving restaurants? I haven't, and I should. Yeah, I thought right? another way, maybe put a sushi train in a revolving restaurant, a restaurant. and then see if people throw up. Yeah, or, there's too many revolving things. What if you just put them at a pace where it felt like it wasn't actually revolving? That's good. You were constantly in front of that salmon. <laughs> Seven rolled the entire way around. Yeah, very confusing. It sort I of mean, turns I into a vomitron. Have you ever? I mean, it. Okay, so very much gravitron, gravitron vibes, vomitrons vibes from uh, your revolving restaurant. Have you ever been in a revolving restaurant? I haven't, and that's the sad thing. Oh. I'm obsessed with them, and yet I and haven't. You've been. never been in one. No. So you've only looked at them from the outside in, not from the inside out. The very exactly. purpose of the revolving restaurant. I should just do a writing session in a revolving restaurant. Mate, this is And perfect. then maybe next year, an hour of revolving restaurant you, jokes. You do your show in a revolving yes. restaurant. And now and we're it's talking. it's all about revolving restaurants. Okay, but now we're you, talking. Now you are on a different revolving. So it's in the yep. round. I'm You're spinning on a lazy in season. In the round. <laughs> You're on a lazy season. Slur. <laughs> Edgy. <laughs> <laughs> in, in brackets in, slower in the round <laughs> yeah yes. the audience can spin me as much as they want i mean i love it i love everything about yeah, it i'm seeing dollar signs right now yeah i like it so um uh, so what was i saying i was um yes okay so uh the so concetta then uh recently and i'm i'm looking forward to hopefully having a chat to her about this on the podcast but you know, I think she's fantastic and um, uh, she got the job at Triple J, which, you know, is is amazing and obviously a job that, you know, I have done in a very, very long time ago, a uh, previous life of mine, but was lucky enough to have a little chat with her about that before she started and, and you know, it's, it's super exciting. But so what's that like, you know, when you're like, oh, I, you know, suddenly – yeah, the dynamic of the relationship changes again, right? Because she has this like full-time job now, this yeah. full-time comedy job. Yeah. Well, I, I'm i always – I think she's the best and I'm always happy for her. And I think she can do anything. Um, she'll like hearing me say this. <laughs> she will. She, she will absolutely <laughs> like hearing you say this. She, every night when I'm, I'm about to fall yeah. asleep, she's like, tell me in 10,000 words why you love me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Did the lights just go out? The lights went on. That was Conchetta. She's in the room. Um, Yeah, the lights went off. Oh, well. But, um, yeah, I think she could do – because she's just so, you know, lovable. I think she could – she's great on the radio. I think she could host a show. She can do stand-up. She can act. So I'm always happy for her, whatever she gets. I think she deserves everything. Um, And I was saying this to her at at one point. I was like, I think it would be hard if – she kept getting more and more things, and I got uh, nothing. 
So I was, you know, I was saying, I was like, I'd love to get just something, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So there's not like a huge disparity. Um, and she was like, I totally understand that. And she still supports me. So I'm like, if I could just get one little thing to just if say, oh, just at least I've got that. friends to stop <laughs> telling me, me to quit. That's all <laughs> yeah. I want. <laughs> yeah. If I could just get a video that gets over, I don't know, 700 views on TikTok. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that'll do. You just keep lowering your expectations <laughs> of what that level is. Yeah. Then I'll also feel like oh, I have something. I think yeah. you're forgetting my TikTok video that had 701 <laughs> views. Yeah. Can I close a show at an open mic? Come on, yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> I feel what do you think that that thing would be so like let's magic wand it right like I mean why not let's manifest it we're talking you know I think you're great and we're talking about the fact that you know you're one of those people who like you know are looking for that thing trying to find that thing like so, yeah the fairy godmother of like you know a god person of stand-up comedy comes to you and grants you one comedy wish what what would it be um my comedy wish well i think just like if i could get some followers online (laughs) (laughs) on any and all platforms the metaverse gmail this is the the comedy fairy god person has come down and you're like what's some i guess some more followers online is that too much to ask for? But it's like if you do have like a certain amount of followers and then, yes. you know, you go on tour the next year it and helps, you can sell right. out, yes. you know, a month of shows. I mean, that's all because I just love stand-up and I just want to get better and better at stand-up. So if I can make my living from stand-up, that's, that's the dream. And I like other stuff as well. Like I, I like coming up with little sketches and stuff and doing other things. But I think stand-up will always be my my number one gal other than uh, So, well, tell people, uh, we're not finishing, by the way, but I just thought seeing we were talking about getting you more followers on social media that this would be a good time <laughs> a to actually play. tell people where they can find you on social media. So w- where do they find you? How do they, like, what's um, the best thing for them to be looking at? Wouldn't it be funny if I didn't have an Instagram? Yeah, any social media. I actually don't <laughs> yeah, have no, social media. I don't have social media don't at all. Know what you're talking about. <laughs> Completely off the grid. Yeah. Um, MySpace.com. Yeah, yeah. Is that the problem that I'm still on MySpace <laughs> and Pinterest? Um, yeah, Instagram, um, at Ben Caution, if you know how to spell my name, K O C H A N. And um, I guess TikTok. Ben Caution, comedian, and I have a podcast with Conchetta that some people like. It's called The Quibble Hour, and we that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, no, I'm not very good at promoting myself. You're not. And for a guy who is in advertising, can you not think of yourself as the product that you're trying to sell? And then there, there can be two Bens. There can be Ben the comedian, yeah. and then there can be B1 and B2 is what you mm. need. And you need to like occasionally – like Ben, the comedian, needs to step away. And like, okay, so go BC. We're going to call Ben the comedian BC. So like, yeah. kind of that's good. That's catchy. BC, yeah. right? And then um, the other comedian is B, BA, like BA Baracus from the A team. So yes, that's Ben advertising, right? Yeah. So we need Ben advertising to come in. Like if Ben advertising was prevent presented with Ben comedy, how would Ben advertising sell Ben comedy? Oh, I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Firstly, I'd go to the bathroom, I'd slick yeah. back my hair with gel yeah. just so I can get into the right <laughs> mind frame to be in advertising. Um, how would I promote? I guess yeah. if I knew that, I probably would have done it. I know, but that's how you've got to think about it, right? You've got to think about it as not how the comedian would promote you, but how the the guy who used to work in advertising who needed to be able to sell an air conditioner or sell or whatever, that's yeah. that's what you've got to do. I wasn't you've that good at advertising. I think that's the problem. Yeah. But I mean, I reckon you were like, you weren't good enough at advertising to be in advertising, but you're probably better at advertising than like a lot of people who are in comedy, right? So no. all you need to, uh, to no, that's not true either. People is in it? comedy are so good at advertising. And it's rare that like they, they gel. It's rare that you've got like the comedian who's so good at advertising themselves and they're yeah. great the best at comedian. Comedy. Yeah. yeah. So that's, Part of the problem, isn't it? That you associate those who are good with promoting themselves with those who are not very good at comedy. Do you feel like that is part of what holds you back from promoting yourself properly? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. 100%. Yeah, it, that's interesting to me. Do you think that that's a problem? Do you think that you At need this to get point, over yes. It's a probably, a, probably I a problem. I think it is. Yeah. I feel like it's a blockage a little because I it's think. It's stupid. That, it is yeah. stupid. It's just like that stupid part of your brain that's still on my brain, that still wants to be like, no, I just want to be, uh, for lack of a better word, cool and just like, let me just do my stand-up and hopefully mm. people like that and I don't have mm. to do all this other crap. But you do, unfortunately, mm. have to do all yeah. this other crap. Or at least <laughs> after a while because also like being like, uh, you know, unemployed and like doing comedy and being creative is like is cool when you're in your 20s. But once you're in your 30s and you're still doing the same thing, it feels to me less cool. Much like much like an old person at a music festival. You're like, I get it, but come on. Yeah. Like one of my regrets is like, you know, when people started getting on TikTok, whenever that was, two, three oh. years ago, and I had that thought, oh, getting on TikTok, that's, that sucks, as if you're doing that. <laughs> but I feel like people who got on TikTok early, yeah. like the there was, people yeah. blew up. And now they have Mate. like 400,000 followers. I'm like, well, that is kind yeah. of cool actually to By the have 400,000 followers. Right. By the time you hear about it, it's already done. By the time yeah. that everybody tells you there's gold in the hills, yeah. the, the people who got there first took all the gold and then everybody else is like, you know, um, arguing over the little bits that they ha like yeah, put in the river at Sovereign Hill to amuse the tourists. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you those know, little bits are like 35 views on your favorite stand-up bit. Right. <laughs> Whereas if it had been in the early days of whatever the platform was, then you do have that opportunity to, for it to be a 400,000 or 500,000 yeah. or whatever it might be. Totally. Have those moments, right? Yeah. That's hard. So I think you've just got to randomly speculate on whatever new app comes out. <laughs> like whatever it is, you've just got to yeah. get there first. I'm going to privately like, message like, Mark Zuckerberg. I'm like, whatever like, idea you got, what you I'm to, going dude? with you. <laughs> I'll do I'm stand up it. in the metaverse. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine bombing in the metaverse. That'd be I terrible. mean, I don't think it would be because if you bomb in a place where nobody sees you bomb, did you really bomb, right? Uh, ben, what do you think happens when we die? I know that sounds like a abrupt, uh, but that yeah. is one of the questions I ask people on this podcast. And so, yeah. what do you think happens when we die? I reckon not much. Mm. I reckon um, nothing. <laughs> I don't think about death, um, what happens after you die too much. I do often think about dying, um, but I don't think about 
uh, what's going to happen after you die too much for some reason. Okay. So, so, so then when you think about dying, what are, you, what are you thinking about? When you say, I do think about dying, but I don't think about what happens after you die, what, what does mm. that mean? I think I'm just like, a, I freak out easily. And for some reason, I think I'm going to die in some sort of unlikely way. <laughs> like whenever I'm walking through life, I can picture a way where I'm going to die. Like I don't worry about cancer or a heart attack, but I worry if I'm walking under a building site that someone's going to drop a hammer on me and kill me. And if I'm driving behind a truck with a lot of stuff in the truck, I think it's going to fall out of the truck and crush me. Um, I used to worry about internally drowning. I'd have eight cups of water and worry I'm going to drown internally. Like, I, <laughs> I think I'm always going to die in like very unlikely ways. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope I don't. I want to put that out there as well. Yeah, I, I think that that's interesting because you, in a way you're right, which is, I mean, there's been events in the news and I'm not going to go into them recently that just shows how th or things that we would ordinarily do all the time. But there always yeah. is if you look for it. And that event will play on my mind forever, that <laughs> yeah. type of thing. Yeah, right, because you think, oh, well, I've done that. I've yeah. been in that scenario where that tragic yep. thing happened and you're totally. like, oh, yeah, I guess – I have never thought about that that person would like, – oh, I have never thought about that that was a risky thing to be doing, whereas you are actually living a little bit more with the, the, the knowledge that the rest of us tend to block out. So this comes back to truth and lying and I'm very interested in this because one of the things I'm really interested in at the moment is this the way that we're dealing with COVID, which is that – we have to sign up to a collective lie that it's over to get on with life when I don't understand that because we all know that it's not over. Like we all know that COVID is still happening in absolute like massive numbers and all these sort of things, but we've just decided it's now at a level that we're willing to live with and we're, we're just going on with life. Why can't we just all admit that why do we have to go through this pantomime of pretending a thing that is demonstrably and clearly not true is true to but i think that there is an aspect of us to live our lives we've got to block out that idea that you know of course there are so many things that could kill us on a daily basis and to live our lives we kind of have to block out that noise but in a way you're saying to me that you're not you don't block out that noise I don't. <laughs> it's very loud noise Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Does it make you cautious to do things? Do you still do things but you're just aware of the risk of death or does it make you a cautious person in regard to doing things? I'm extremely cautious. Yeah. I don't really do much. You know, like so, so I got on a small plane recently, one of those planes that flies to Canberra. It's like 15 seats. I'd never been on a plane like that before and I, it just freaked me out the whole time. And I've just had – Times in my life where I, I've just been like, okay, it's not out of the realms of possibility that I die now. Like the chances of me dying now have raised a little bit more than if I was sitting at home on the couch. Like I, I've been skiing with my friends and like they're like, Let, I'm, I'm a bad skier and they're like, let's go to the top of the mountain. And it was like blizzarding. And they were like, quit comedy. And then they were like, <laughs> 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 quit comedy. <laughs> And they just left me up there and it's blizzarding and it was freezing and I just I just fell down the mountain over and over. And that was just like a moment where I'm like, all right, I'm probably not going to die. I'll probably be fine. But the chances of me dying now have gone up 
more than if I was sitting on a couch. You know what I mean? Maybe they've gone up 10%. Right. Yeah, I get that. Like, the, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just yeah. that the rest of us manage to block that out as a general rule to get through life and you just yeah. have an awareness of it. I've never blocked it out. <laughs> okay, well, that, this, that makes this next question even more interesting, I think, which is that um, – so this was a question that Kurt uh, Bronola asked uh, Pete Holmes on Pete Holmes's podcast, You Made It Weird. Uh, would you prefer to know – when or how you die? Mm. Um, I was thinking about this and I thought maybe it would be nice to know how I die because then I wouldn't freak out that I'm going to die skiing down a mountain. But then I think I'd just worry nonstop when it's going to happen, you know? Even if, yeah, if I was like, oh, I found out I'm going to die of a heart attack. Well, I'll be like, anytime I have a chest pain, I'm like, oh, it's now, <laughs> it's it. right now, this it's happening it. <laughs> now. So I think knowing um, when... I think knowing when would actually be, would be good to know when. Not that I think I'd change much, but I think it would be nice to know when maybe. Do you think that if they were massively different, it would change much though? So like say it was in five years or 50 years, do you think that that would substantially change the way that you lived your life? No. Mm. I think I'm pretty much doing what I want for better or for worse. <laughs> um, so yeah, I can't imagine... Maybe if it was five years, I'd try put out a, an album, two, two more albums or something like that. Try put out some more stand-up. But that's about it. Uh, why? So if it was five years, so I, I mean, I, and I don't mean why you personally. I'm just, I'm interested in this question, which is that if you did find out, say, that you had five years left. Like, and uh, same to me, if I f found out I had five years left. My initial reaction is, yeah, I have all this work that I want to do and I like my blah, blah, blah. And then there's a part of me that's like, but why? That like, is a you're going to be dead. Is it not better to just <laughs> like, I mean, do nothing, read some books, like yeah. go to the beach? Or, like, I'm interested. Like, and I'm not saying mm. it's the wrong answer. I'm yeah. just saying, why, why do you think that would be? Like, is it important to be remembered to you? Like, would you like some of, you know, who you were to live on? Like, what would be the mm. purpose of that? That's a good point. As I was saying, I was like, maybe I should have, I should put some travel in there. Yeah. In the five years. <laughs> I'll do a little bit of travel and then maybe put out one album instead of two. Maybe we'll compromise on that. But yeah, being remembered, uh, that does, it's not that important to me, but I did put out an album last year and I, because I, I grew up listening to the albums as we said earlier and I've just always loved it. And I just thought it'd be nice, again, thinking about my untimely death. It would, I would be upset if I died and there was nothing to show for something I've been working pretty hard on for 11 years. So at least now I have an album. If, people, if I die, people will be like, hey, that album was pretty – he did stand-up and that, that mm. album was all right. A person who was good at advertising or marketing would like have mentioned what the name of the album was, <laughs> maybe where people could still listen to that album. You know, any of any Not of those interested. details. No. Find it yourself. If, if you can't, if you can't go to the effort of finding it, then I don't want you to listen to it. Yeah, um, it's called Holy Dooly, What a Crowd, and it's it's on Spotify and and whatever else, Apple probably. <laughs> uh, you talk about the idea of putting together an album and like you know I mean that is amazing because it goes from like you first hear these albums of these comedians you think yeah. oh, I wonder if I could write a joke and yeah. then that obviously progresses to 
I mean, I, I say this all the time about my own career, which was my aspiration, like when I first started doing comedy, all I wanted to do was do a show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. That was my dream, you know? And that's ridiculous to me because the festival was probably only like four, five, six years old then, right? Like, so it wasn't even a real big thing. Like the thing right. that I thought was like the pinnacle <laughs> yeah. of, like it is now quite a big thing. But, yeah. But also now I realise that you don't even have to do comedy to get in the festival. You can just oh, register. You just got to pay whatever yeah. the amount is right. and they let like, anyone in. But I thought at least like I had this idea that you do comedy and then like if you get good enough at comedy, they let you do a show at the festival and and that was like you know my dream but of course then you do that and then you get another dream and so this idea that you had this dream to go can I write a joke and then you're like well can I write enough jokes that it's an entire album did you think about what you wanted that album to be like if someone if there's some kid like you you know hearing an album for the first time you know or you know like what yeah, what did you have a real sense of what you wanted to accomplish with it? Yeah, I, my only thought was that because it's like my best jokes from 11 years, not that there's much from my first, I don't know, eight <laughs> years, except for that original premise. Um, but I just wanted to like hopefully if I can look back at the album in four or five years, hopefully I can look back at it and still be like, yeah, I, I back these jokes. I still think they're pretty good. You know, so I just wanted to try and do jokes that I really liked, even if some of the jokes were some of those jokes that hit and miss, do well 50% of the time. I just want to be like, I, I think this joke is good and hopefully the crowd will be nice and and they'll laugh, you know. I so, also think that, you know, this is what we as perform. this is the difference between an album Particularly an album because I don't – I mean I've filmed things, you know, over the years because that tends to be these days what you have to do. But I I don't really love it and I don't watch love watching like stand-up concerts, you know, like specials. Like it just – whereas I love comedy albums. Like listening to somebody do comedy. And yeah. I think some a lot of the time it's about the size of the venue like when you're and I'm guilty of this myself by the way but when you're doing a big special and you're going to spend all this money on making it you're like well we might as well do it in a big theater and make it look fancy and all these sort of things but then it has a different rhythm and it has a different style whereas like many of the comedy albums that I grew up loving like they weren't recorded in thousand seat venues they were recorded in like front of you know you know hundreds of people rather than thousands of people or maybe not even that some of the bill hicks albums are clearly recorded in front of very small crowds right and often my favorite lines from those specials are things that honestly don't get huge laughs in the room right <laughs> yeah like you know it's you know you're like this is like my funny the funniest joke but it's not on that night in this recording, that certainly wasn't the bit that killed. And and it does. It's there's something about it where you're like, well, that is the absolute place for those jokes. Because somebody else, you know, will discover it and listen to it and they're not in the room. They don't need to be in that energy of the room. They yeah, can totally. just enjoy the joke, right? Yeah. And there's something about like because I as I said, I love Brian Regan and he is so physical. But there's something about like hearing it and like imagine what he's doing with his arm. Like you can picture it and it's kind of funny to picture it. Like it sounds like he's doing something wacky. <laughs> Can't even I mean, see it, but you're like, it's, it's great. honestly almost better. Yeah, I think it might be. Because seeing it, like I do think, so this is such a weird fucking tangent, but like when I was writing my book, I was 
no one is ever described like really like you know it's like one of those things where oh yeah it might say they were an older lady or a younger man or like blah 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 but it's not like they were wearing this and they yep. looked like this and they had the yeah. this and this <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like yeah. whatever and i was yeah. always like I hated those books when I was a kid. I was like, I've got an imagination. Just mm. tell me he's like a fireman or whatever and I can imagine yeah. what I think a I'll fireman looks like. Yeah, like yeah. I, don't, I don't need your weird version of descriptions of things that I'm meant to be jumbling together into yeah. a person in my mind. Mm. And I think that sometimes, yeah, I like you know, letting you imagine what it is that they're doing rather than just having to have it all spelled out. Like it's Yeah, good. totally. Yeah. yeah, it's cool, man. Like, uh, um, uh, okay, so uh, what's the best piece of advice or worst piece of advice that you've ever had in your life? Um, well, y- your relatives always give you good advice. They'll be like, you should try to get on SNL. Have you ever tried to get on SNL? Like, <laughs> That's a good point. That is a I great mean, point. I should try to get on SNL. It would be great for your career. <laughs> yeah. If you could get on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they'll be like, have you heard the Joe Rogan podcast? It's pretty big. He has comedians yeah. on. I'm like, yeah, I'll ask him. Yeah. I'll send him a message. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. I wish I remembered more advice. I'm sure people have given me advice. The one piece of advice that, I think of from time to time because it's the only thing I remember is um, when I first started doing the comedy store in Sydney, I kind of sucked. Um, I would never do well and it was always so upsetting because people crush at that venue and you go on first and you do fine and then you see someone in the second half absolutely destroy. I'm like, damn it. I hated doing it because I would never do that well. And one time um, Shane Hunter was on with me and he was like, you start so quickly, like you come out and like, you don't even say hello. You don't say, how's it? You just ru- you're like rushing to your first punchline and just like, relax, like just say hello or just like slow down. And I'm like, oh yeah, that is good advice. Cause like, I was so nervous. You're like, you just want to get that first laugh to relax. So you're like, you know, and, um, yeah, and so I was like, that is a good point. I should slow down and just... It's good advice. Like, it's I mean, pretty good. I, I, I say this all the time, but I think that that's your moment, right? Like, is that opening moment, you always feel like you should rush. And I, the same as you, I went through that period of time where you're like, I'm going to run out there. I'm going to get into it. I'm going to be like, <laughs> you know, get them. to the microphone. <laughs> like, honestly, it was almost like that, right? Yeah. You, you come onto the stage with momentum and energy and like, yeah. like start. Mm. But... Really what the audience are looking for from you is reassurance. Like they don't want to see someone who nervously like wants to get to the first laugh. They want to see someone who is confident that they've already got the first laugh by the time they get to the microphone, you know, like, you know, like that it's in the bank. They don't need to prove themselves. Like I'm already funny and now I'm about to tell you a joke that is funny, right? And it is hard. But it's good advice. That is a good example. Well done. Mm. Good, good. For someone who doesn't remember advice, that's a good piece of advice. <laughs> I also remember one thing that Dave Chappelle didn't say this to me personally, but I heard it on um, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, and I thought it was so smart. He's smart about everything, that guy. Oh, yeah, yes. 100% good opinions, I believe. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? Every as far single as I know. thing. <laughs> yeah. 
But he was talking about just like ideas and when you have an idea for something and it's like, if it's a good idea, it's like that idea is in the driver's seat and you're in the passenger seat and it's just telling you where to go and what to do. And when it's like a bad idea or you're trying to force it, you're in the driver's seat and you're like, maybe I should do this and maybe I should do that. I'm like, wow, that makes so much sense. Because I've felt that when you have a good idea, it's like, oh, obviously I'll do this and then uh-huh. I'll do that and then that put that in there and it just flows. Mm-hmm. It's just almost like, in a way, you're like dictating whatever your brain's like, yeah, yeah do that, that, that. And when you're like forcing it, you're like, oh, maybe I can uh, do something. And I was like, wow, that's like the best analogy I've ever heard. Yes. It's good. All right. You're back, Dave. He's back. <laughs> He's back. He's officially back. <laughs> um. It's interesting to me, Dave Chappelle, because, uh, like, again, we don't need to get bogged down in this topic, but it's, like, um, I was talking to Guy Williams on this podcast about the idea of, like, how comedians age and how your opinions age and these sort of things and, and you know, who you become and what you think is important and, like, you know, like, you know, and it can affect your opinions and who you, who you go after, all those sort of things. But there is something a bit more universal, as you said, about what you're doing, that there isn't that – I mean, it, it, you, your stuff is less likely to age badly, I guess is what I'm trying to say, right? <laughs> you haven't seen some of my crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to see me at an open mic. I'm going nuts up there. <laughs> I'm saying all sorts of words. <laughs> Uh, all right, if I could give you um, uh, any skill in the world, so you don't have to mm. work for this skill. Yeah. You just just one day you, you wake up and you can just do this thing and it doesn't have to be a professional thing. It could absolutely be – and it can be any sort of skill, just any yep. talent. You immediately mm-hmm. have it. What would you like to be able to do? Can I say three? Yep. You can say um, whatever you like. <laughs> one would be I'd love to be great at impressions. I think that's so cool. Like Bill Hader's just like, and he doesn't even make it his thing, but he's just like can do every single impression. I'm like, and he nails it. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah, so I was. I, that's you know what I find that impressive too because I have no gift for it at all, no absolutely no talent. And I have a friend who doesn't do comedy who is so good at impressions, and I, I'm always like, that is useless to you. Like that would make me so much money if I like had your skill. Do you know what I mean? Like you've got this like yeah. thing that would be so good for me at my job and you just like do it in front of me. Like it's gross. Like That's so funny. I had Liam Stapleton who um, you know, used to host the Triple J Breakfast Show and uh, Ben and Liam and he's doing Leighton Over in Melbourne now and he was on this show and we were talking about Liam Gallagher and he went into this Liam Gallagher impression that was just – so spot on and I honestly just wanted him to keep doing it you know like just (laughs) watching someone do such a great impression and he again he wasn't going here's my impression of like he literally was telling an anecdote about Liam Gallagher and then just in the anecdote became Liam Gallagher in front of my face and I was like fuck that's great and there's no impressionist out there anymore like bring it back some comedians got to do some impressions. It's well, funny. I think also that like in the old days, like impressions, some of them you couldn't do anymore, right? Like because of 
you know, changing sensibilities. Mm. Political correctness has gone mad. What happened to the larrikin? Oh, Remember that? Man? <laughs> what happened to the larrikin? It's almost, Bring him back. It's almost like Greg Ritchie couldn't do his hilarious brown face character Mahatma <laughs> Coat anymore because of political correctness and people and the larrikin, yeah. Paul Hogan and stuff, yeah. Barry Humphreys. Uh, <laughs> so. Okay, impressions. That's good. That's a good one, first one. Yep. You've got two more then. Okay. Uh, another one. I'd love to be able to do a bunch of flips and cartwheels and like, oh, gym- like gymnastics. Yep. Another thing to like just crack out and people are like, what the hell? Yeah. I like, <laughs> like the idea. Drunk, of you just, run down the street, yeah. do a bunch of flips and backflips and, like, and loop-de-loops. I didn't know he could do that. Yeah. And you're like, eh, whatever. And then oh, you, you do know an impression. What I love about all this is secret skills. Like I think you and I, this is what we share in this is like, I always think of like just yeah. Imagine being like really, really good at something. Like I like I'd love to be really, really good at playing the piano, but never having used the piano in my step. Like you know, like having had a thirty year like, and then just one day I revealed that like I can play the piano as good as Tim mentioned. But I just oh. never. I was like, you know what? Yeah, but what I did. I was like, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah, I can, but whatever. Yeah, it's not I was not to use it in the act. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that needy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, yeah, that reminds me because like, I'm, I'm good at tennis. So I'm a tennis coach. But yes. when do I ever get to show off that I'm a tennis coach? Like, it's a good point. You can't just be out and, you know, show off that you're a tennis coach. Well, I mean, is there some – I mean, because, like, if you're a basketball player, for example, you could, like – demonstrate that you're good at like you know throwing something into a basket or you could spin yep. a ball on your finger you can maybe yep. dribble dribble through your legs like you could, there is a <laughs> few show tricks that you can kind totally, of do totally yeah um what would be the tennis equivalent of that like is there even Nothing. a tennis there's not really is there no i'd have to bring a racket to gigs just to bounce the ball in my racket <laughs> and i was like hey, it's my nervous tick i have to do some crazy tricks with my racket i mean it's not much is it really is no. it like bouncing a ball at a racket it's, it's not- terrible how good yeah. a tennis player were you? Pretty like, good. Yeah, like what does that but, mean? For well, people yeah, who don't understand point. what that means, what does that mean? Well, you know, it's actually hard to say how good I am because I, I kind of sucked at winning matches, which okay. is kind of important is it, which for tennis. Is how a lot of people judge it. Yes, but, which I don't, obviously. Nah. But like, Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I, I was good, but I would implode. Yeah. I was sort of like Nick Kyrgios, obviously not as good. But because I'm very mild mannered, but on the tennis court, I go nuts. Like I just lose my mind. I get so frustrated. I want to break my racket into a million pieces. Um, yeah. So I would just. It's such an easy game to just um, just implode. What, what like, would what would make you so mad? Like your I, own frustration at your own yeah. limitations, or your opposition being better than you, or what? What's no, what's making you mad? It's always like you miss a shot, and because yeah. I, I was good, I was like, I know I can make that shot. Yeah. Why the hell did I miss that shot? And then that plays on your mind, and then so you're thinking about that for the next one. So you lose the next point, and you're like, well, I've lost two points this game. May as well throw the game. Throw the game. Now you're dead. <laughs> and then, then it's just a cycle that keeps going. Like, I've thrown that game. May as well throw another game. All right, now. I've lost it may as well just give up and that's sort of how it works with me in tennis i just can't handle missing a shot that i know i can make yeah okay interesting sorry to get so amped up no i like it this was good revelation at the end uh different side of your personality so when you're coaching then like you're coaching tennis are you like are you able to like are you a calm coach you're not like a fiery sidelines coach i imagine uh, a little, I get a little, oh. I get angry. You still do. 
Yeah, and I wish I didn't because I'm like, <sighs> wow. I, why should I care if this person's not doing mm. it? But if I tell them to do something over and over and they keep not doing it, I'm like, why aren't you doing it? Listen to me. <laughs> uh, if you do it, you're going to get the ball. I don't. I mean, I don't say this out loud, but in my head, I'm like, just do it. I said follow through over the shoulder yeah. seven times and you haven't done it. <laughs> why aren't you doing it? And I wish I could I could not get upset because it, it does yes. annoy me sometimes. I'm like, I should just relax. This person's not going to be a professional tennis player. But it, I guess it's that thing of like, it's annoying when people don't listen to you. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> I love this one part of your personality <laughs> that just like. <laughs> but I was good. Like I was like, yeah. my technique was very good. And they have these talent ID days every year to try identify the next crop of hot Australian tennis talent and I got picked as one of the better players in New South Wales and then I went to Homebush to play with everyone else from around Australia who was really good and then I I, I imploded on the day my dad always brings it up because I would I just got so upset I started playing badly and I was going nuts and Pat Cash was there I've got a photo with Pat Cash um <laughs> I think he again, was telling someone, me to relax. So, again, I believe someone who's got 100% good opinions, much <laughs> yeah. like Dave Chappelle. Exactly. So that's my one thing to say that I was pretty good because the other thing I would say is I've lose, I've never won a competition. I never had a ranking, you know, but I, I hit the ball nicely. Yeah, interesting. It's so interesting. Like it doesn't mesh with what I know of your personality, which again is not a lot. But like the idea that you have this like Bruce Banner Hulk esque <laughs> like alter ego that is only unleashed around the tennis court. Yeah, like, is pretty much incredible. <laughs> it's like like maybe you need to like move like maybe in the rest of your life you say you're not very confrontational right like and maybe that's what it's holding you back occasionally is that you can't have these like you know confrontational conversations with people about like maybe you need to invite them to tennis matches like do you know what I mean like you should have all your meetings on the tennis court yep get up a bit of a head of anger and then really yeah. lay in yeah, and just go, and I'll it's see about you something court, else. Tennis yeah. Court. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, no. yeah, but by the way, he never called me back three weeks ago. Yeah. I just had to yeah. call you to the tennis court yeah. to tell you yeah. that. Yeah, because it's the only place that I can own my anger. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, final question. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way, Ben. I've very much enjoyed this chat. Um, uh, I have a time machine. I don't for legal reasons, um, but... Uh, if I did, this is what I would offer you, a trip to the future or to the past, but you have to choose whether it's the future or the past you'd like to go to. You, there is none of the usual rules of time travel, you know, get in the way of this hypothetical scenario. So don't worry about changing history or blah, 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 or the fact that you have to go and kill Hitler unless that's yeah, your Yeah, yeah, can't but be you know bothered. What? I normally say to people, I say, you don't have to go back and kill Hitler. But like, if it's, that's your passion, like if that's the thing that you're like, <laughs> you know what? Like, that'll yeah. get my friends off my back. I'm well, like, you know what? I'm so non-confrontational. Yeah. I'll, I'll see Hitler and then yeah. he'll, you know, compliment my moustache or something. And I'm like, hey, he's, he's not that You bad. invite Adolf Hitler to a game of tennis. <laughs> 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 yeah. I didn't kill him, but I smashed him. Six love, six love. Hope that does something for the future. <laughs> uh, so would you like to go into the future, into the past? Where would you go? What would you do? I think I'd go to the past mm. and um, it's just so lame, but I guess it shows that I'm only ever thinking about comedy. I don't really know much about history. I've never, you know, never liked history in school. I would love, and I know we brought him up 17 times, 
on the podcast, but if I could be in the crowd watching Brian Regan before he went to theatres when he was in like little clubs, I reckon that would be the hardest crush I've ever seen in my entire life. Because you hear it on the albums, you're like, this guy, people are dying. That's a bit lame. No, I don't think that is lame. And I think that you're right about the time you've identified it because you can't play the venues the size he does and crush in the same way because he he's he's so jokes are so punchline dense talk about yep. someone who can write a punchline yep. that the only true rhythm of it the perfect rhythm of it yep. like is that comedy club rhythm where the yeah, audience the and ceiling. him can be perfectly in tune with each other in a way that once you get to a certain size of audience not everybody's getting the joke at the same time it's just yep. not how it works yeah yeah I love yeah. it. I, I mean, mate, like you're, this is right up my alley. Like you don't have to apologize for going back. To, I mean, for me, this will be my favorite episode of the podcast <laughs> ever. I'm like, we mostly yeah. just talked about shit I'm interested in rather than like, you know, the yeah. usual. Sorry, broad. I'm not a big philosophy guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we, we learn a lot today, mate. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And thank you very much for doing the show. Thanks for having me. Listener.